And I looked at her and I like started sweating. And I was like, no, I do not want to do that. Sorry, boss. I can't do it. Hi, and welcome to Writing in Real Life, a podcast about writing, parenthood, publishing, and marriage. I'm Morgan Baden. With me is my co-host and my husband and a few other things. Very like it. What, what other things? Well. Now I'm all paranoid. The dad to my baby. Uh, I am your baby daddy. That's the true. The yin to my yang. Wow. <laughs> I don't, you know, that could Not be an really. insult in my way. No. Anyway. <laughs> um, How are you? The guy who usually makes my dinner. <laughs> Or, or, or several times a week says, how about we just order in tonight? <laughs> that too. The they're, guy who they're, makes me go thereby, on. Thereby making it so that you don't have to say it. That's right. Yeah. And also the guy who makes me go on 8 a.m. Pepsi runs for him. Oh, one time. <laughs> I know. I'm just kidding. So the, the, the thing is, listener, Barry doesn't drink coffee and I do. Or caffeine. Right, right. Generally. Yeah. So, um, so when he needs a boost, he goes for Pepsi yeah. and, um, may as well dive right into the parenting update right sure. now. It, it's been a little bit of a rough week. Poor Leia has been having some tummy troubles. Yes. Uh, she turned nine months old on Wednesday and Woo-hoo! it was very exciting, but, uh, it sort of coincided with her pediatrician appointment where she got another vaccine and it was probably the worst one yet. In Vaccinate your reaction. kids, people. Vaccinate your kids. Jenny McCarthy doesn't know what she's talking about. Yeah. Even though they cry. It's important to vaccinate them. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so she had these tummy troubles in addition to, I think, feeling probably a little bit sore and out right. of sorts after that vaccination. So um, anyway, rough week. And so today when... <laughs> When I left the house to go to work, you were like, uh, I need some caffeine. So yeah. I ran to the corner store and got you some. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because you're saying rough week, but the truth of the matter is it was really only a rough half week. Yeah, that's it true. was like Wednesday, Thursday, yeah. Friday was rough. Monday, Tuesday, my mom was in town. Everything was great. Everything Moms was true. things not you know, rough. You know, I got to say, I, I was thinking about this a lot when she was here. It's like, we are so fortunate because I feel like once or twice a month, sometimes more, Either your mom or my oh, yeah. mom is visiting yeah. for at least a day. Yeah. And that is a godsend. I mean, grandmothers... <laughs> Make if, the world go round. Grandmothers are awesome. <laughs> so, so, mom and, and Morgan's mom, thank you. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, rough half week. She was having tummy trouble. And it was just... It's tough because it's one of those things where, other than, obviously, giving her foods and liquids that are sort of proven Designed, to help right. with this... There's nothing you can do. You're completely helpless. And, you know, she was, her big thing, we talked about this last week, she loves to stand up now. Uh Uh, She can stand up with a little bit of help, and she loves it. And I would stand her up, and she was getting no joy in standing up. You know, I think it was just making, it was, you know, changing the configuration of her belly and making her feel bad. And she would just stand there and look up at me with just this look on her face, this pleading look like, Make it stop. Yeah. And I couldn't. All I could do was say, sweetheart, it'll be over. Yeah. I promise it'll be over. And and just, you know, and then pick her up and hold her and stroke yeah. her. And and she finally got through it. It took a couple days, but she finally got through it. And I was just really proud of her. Yeah. You know, I mean. The other big thing this week with her is food. Real food. Like literally overnight, this yeah. kid eats real food. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. we'd been giving her purees of real food. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd been making sweet potatoes and applesauces and, and you know, uh, uh, zucchini yeah. and, and purees of all those sorts of things and mashing up bananas and avocados. But yeah, now like chunks yeah. of food. Like, like we literally give her Cheerios. Cheerios, which you were scared of. I, 
So I've been wanting to. Do when this Morgan baby was a child, when Morgan was a child, she was attacked by a Cheerio, <laughs> and ever since then. <laughs> She's been afraid of Cheerios. No, no. I've been wanting to do baby-led weaning, which is this idea of um, skipping purees altogether and giving babies the food you're eating just in big chunks so that they can figure out how to hold them and how to sort of gnaw on them. Uh, we didn't do that. We'll probably do that with the next one because I'm so interested in it. And I'm I think sorry, it's what? Easier. <laughs> but we didn't do it. And I think because partly it's because it's scary. It's scary as hell. I don't want her to choke. Of yeah. So, um, so I think that's what's been holding us back these past few weeks when I think she probably could have been ready for this step a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. But we got the, the go ahead from the doctor on Wednesday and literally came home and we were like, here you go, kid. Threw yeah. some pasta at her. Yeah, she caught yep, it, pasta. ate it. Yeah, she ate some pasta, <laughs> and then this morning I scrambled up an egg for her. Yeah, and she ate a good chunk of that. Yeah, and then uh, I gave her some Cheerios. I didn't tell you I was going to do that. I just gave them to her, <laughs> and then called you at work yeah. to say, "By the way, she eats Cheerios yeah, now." Yeah. Um, but, but I was watching her very carefully oh, when she ate them. Yeah, yeah. But it's really cool. This is another example of one of those huge milestones that probably sounds so silly right. to everyone else, right. but to us, it's like we can literally just put a couple of you know chunks of food on her high chair yeah. and she's and she satisfied. Eats them, yeah. yeah. So that's very exciting. So that's the parenting update for now. Yeah. So let's move on to something. Um, last week last and week. this week, I've been working on, I've been both working on my, uh, manuscript revisions, okay. which is great, but I've also been sneaking in some work on this essay that I've talked about a couple of times before I started this essay sometime around January, I think, December, January. Uh, and I keep sort of going back and forth on it. Um, something finally happened in my personal life that I felt like was the sign, sort of the, the moment, the event I'd been waiting for in order to continue with this essay because it sort of closes out the thought of the essay. Got okay? it. Okay. So I feel like, great, now I can finally get back to work on this. Because now you have sort of a framework Exactly, for it. yeah. And I'm really excited about it. I mean, it's just an essay, no big deal. But it's just something that I've been working on, and then I plan on pitching it when I finish it. Right. Uh, to try and get it published somewhere, rather than just throwing it up on my blog. So you said something the other day about that. Yeah. To me, about how I shouldn't be working on that, essentially. Because... It's that's taking time away, of course, from my number one priority, which is the book. Right. Um, but I started to say something about how you know publishing essays like this in reputable places can get positive literary attention for a writer or an aspiring writer. There are no reputable places for essays. <laughs> They're all disreputable dens of iniquity, shadowy, smoky pits of despair. No, no, no. So. But you had some thoughts about that. I mean, look, your revision on your book is going well. It is. You are you are quite well along. You want to be ready to show it to me in a, in a few weeks. Yeah. And I feel like, as long as I've known you at least, you've wanted to publish novels. Yeah. And you're very close to having a novel that could be published. I just feel like, finish it. <laughs> Just finish it and, and get it going. Yeah. Uh, it's not that you shouldn't ever write an essay, although they are <laughs> the the filthy the filthy dung of the literary uh, world. What a I'm joking. I'm from. joking. I'm joking. Uh, no, I just I feel like that is. It seems like finishing your book is more of a direct line towards 
what you want to achieve and accomplish. And writing an essay and getting it published in this mythological, reputable location, I don't see what it achieves for you that makes it worth diverting yourself from a path that you're doing very well on right now. Well, what it achieves is that it's an essay I feel the need to write, and I'd like to see it out in the world. And that would achieve that goal. (laughs) Sure. And you can achieve that goal in a month when I'm reading your manuscript and you have time and then there's nothing to do. Yeah, of course I can. But I think what you initially said to me was something about how, and this was all sort of said in jest, I know, but let's say I published this essay and someone somewhere is like, that was a damn good essay. I'm going to call up that lady and see if she's represented. Right. And then I totally get... Uh, a random literary agent who signs me up on the premise of writing personal essays or something like that. That's what you were. Well, yeah. And then, and then I said, well, that's great. And then you're going to spend the rest of your career writing personal essays. And you were like, sure. And I was like, (laughs) are you kidding me? Because are you kidding me? (laughs) No, but I thought it raised an interesting avenue of thought. That's all. Which is that I generally am not, a big fan of the personal essay. Is that true? Yeah, probably, yeah. Huh. I mean, I it's funny because I was just invited yes. to participate in an event uh, here in New York called Spine Out. And uh, this is where fiction authors read personal essays. Mm-hmm. And uh, the organizer got in touch with me and said, hey, would you like to do this? And I said, I don't really write personal essays. <laughs> uh, you know, the closest I come is probably some some blogging that I've done. I could maybe adapt one of those. And she said, okay, no thanks. Bye. (laughs) Um, So I was like, oh, okay. Well, It is true that you do not write personal things. I write extraordinarily personal things. They're masked by fiction. More or less cloak them in fiction. (laughs) Sometimes they're less cloaked than they should be. Yeah, of course. Uh, But no. I I mean, your blog is like the least personal blog out there. (laughs) Every now and then. Every now and then. Every now and then I will write something yeah. intensely personal. Yeah, you've definitely you know, I, had a few. I, I wrote yeah. a while back about concerns about my career ending and, yeah. and things Absolutely. like that. Yeah. Um, but no, in because in, there are a couple of reasons for that. Number one, nobody should give a rat's ass about my personal life. It's not that interesting. What is interesting is how I can take it and try to make it something universal by fictionalizing mm-hmm. it. That to me is interesting. The other reason is that there are things that I could talk about in in a personal essay format that I would then regret because I'd want to fictionalize it later right. to make a yeah. story more poignant or more potent or more interesting, and I would feel like I already used that. Yeah. Um, and so, and so I avoid talking about that sort of thing because I would much rather exploit it for fictional purposes. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I don't do that. And besides, I like the idea of being an enigma wrapped in a mystery stuffed inside a riddle. You like the idea of being that weird <laughs> rebel author that But Kirkus no said I was, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Okay. Well. I mean, hey. It doesn't matter do what you I'm want. finishing the essay do, and I, I'll move on. Obviously, you know, you do not did not pay attention to that whole love, honor, obey part. <laughs> but, you know, do I what you will. skipped that, yeah. Okay. Uh, so something... Very interesting happened yesterday, which was yesterday that you. Uh, this is my update. It is your. This update. is my update. So yeah, uh, the past couple of podcasts I have talked about the the horror and the terror that is being on submission, 
and I found out uh, that this week that actually I haven't been on submission, it turns <laughs> out, for the past couple of weeks. I thought I was. I haven't been. Uh, my, my, what does that do to your head? Uh, because... Dear listeners, I've, I've you know I've been a, thinking about it. Yeah, you know, we've both been thinking of about course, it. Because, we've both been waiting to yeah. see what would happen, if anything. And you know what happened was my agent, you know, a few weeks ago, I said, "Oh, when's the book going to go out?" And she said, "Oh, I'm waiting to hear back from a couple of people." She wanted to talk to them personally before sending it out instead of just a random email coming through. So I foolishly assumed that that meant that oh, she's waiting to hear back from a couple of people. It'll just be a couple of days then, and sort of. Marked that time in my mind and then, mm-hmm. you know, assumed it was from there that, that the book had gone out. And so started thinking about it at that point. Oh, who's looking at it? What are they going to think? Who's when are gonna, they going to get back Is to somebody going to make an yeah. offer? When's that going to happen? That sort of thing. And what I discovered uh, yesterday uh, when I was talking to my agent was... You know, it's July, it's summertime. Yeah. Everybody was on vacation, or a lot of people were on vacation, overlapping vacations. And she had to wait till everybody was back at the same time to to be fair so that one person doesn't get a jump on anybody else. So she didn't send it out till the beginning of this week. (laughs) So I had been thinking that we'd been on on submission for 12 days. Yeah. And it turns out we'd been on submission for three days. Yeah. And that's a and that's a big difference. That's a big difference, yeah. of course, is because I was starting to think, wow, it's been twelve days and nobody has anything to say at yeah. all. Um, but no, it's you know, and and that's my fault for not specifically saying to her, oh, so when will it go out then? Or confirm with or me confirm when with you me when you send it, it out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So so yeah, so that's on me. Ha ha. Um, <laughs> but this actually, so yeah. you know, as an aspiring writer, I feel like you sort of always hear in the writing boards that. Obviously, the quicker, the shorter your submission window, the more successful the book. Hmm. Or, like, the bigger um, the bigger possibility or potential that the house is going to make this their lead title. Or they're really going to put their efforts behind it. Because, clearly, they wanted it right away. It was fast. Is that I, true? I don't know. I mean, I've only ever had one situation where I sold something... Under circumstances like that. And that was my first book, which was a situation where they made it the lead title and for the catalog that season and all that. How many days were you on submission with that? You know, I don't know because I was traveling a lot and I just, you know, my agent had said, oh, I'm going out with it soon. And so I didn't think about it. You know, I was traveling, I was on vacation, I was enjoying myself. And the next thing I knew, I had a phone call from her saying, hey, we got the first offer. And it was, I think, I want to say a week after that first offer that that everything closed, that the mm-hmm. you know the auction closed. I think it was about a week. I think what you say about the relative speed of somebody picking this up relates to how important they see it. It's probably true, with the caveat that there are always going to be things that could slow it down. Right. You know, again, somebody could be on vacation. There could be some sort of an emergency at the house that prevents them from putting in an offer. Uh, But yeah, in general, what you want is sort of a situation where it goes out and that first person, God bless them, reads it and says, I've got to have this. And as soon as that happens, I mean, the way I think it's just human nature, you know, then your agent gets that first offer and then tells everybody else who's got it, hey, we've yeah. got an offer. And most of them probably haven't read it yet. But all of a sudden, it's, oh, now I've got to read this. Right. 
you know, editors have a great deal of respect for each other, I think. Okay. And so if you're an editor and you get a phone call from an agent saying, hey, that book that I sent you a few days ago, we have an offer. Uh-huh. They're going to go, well, if somebody's offered on it, it's, it's probably be good. good. Yeah. I better read it quickly. And they're going to go into it probably with a fairly charitable attitude mm-hmm. because they already know somebody's willing to gamble some money on it. So, yeah, that's sort of what you want. Yeah. Uh, Which is a similar process when you're querying agents. Sure. And, you know, five people have your full and one of them makes an offer. Right. Protocol is you go tell the remaining agents that you've had an offer and they usually ask for a week or two to go read it. But, you know, it it makes you jump to the front of the line. Sure. Obviously. Yeah. There's, you know, you get that mysterious quality known as heat. Yeah. And everybody wants some of that. And... It's a very strange process. Um, there's parts of it I still don't understand. Yeah. Ten years, ten years in, there's parts of it I, I still don't understand. It's very strange because exactly ten years ago, I was in the exact same position. That is true. This the same summer. Ten same summer. Ten, ten years ago, this time in the summer, end of July, beginning of August, we were on submission with Fanboy and Goth Girl. Wow. And I think this is probably right around when we had the first offer. You know what you should do with that anecdote? Turn it into write a, personal a write a personal essay. essay. <laughs> anyway, it's uh, I I'm just ex- did. <laughs> yeah, there's your essay. <laughs> I'm excited. Um, it's an exciting time for me because I'm at work, and as soon as whenever you call me, <laughs> I do get a little burst of excitement because I'm yeah. like, he's calling to tell me he got an offer, and um, and no, not yet, <laughs> not yet, but not it's yet. coming. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, hey, you know, maybe nobody will want it. Maybe. That, that could happen. That could happen. It that is. would. Fickle, strange industry. That would be that would be uh, that would be unfun. Yeah. I could write a personal essay about that. Yeah, there you yeah, go. There you go. I could write a whole book of personal essays about that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So speaking of work, um, someone was telling me the other day that they have signed up for a playwriting class. Oh. And I said, "Oh, I had no idea you were interested in writing plays." And they said, oh, "I'm just interested in writing." Huh. And I thought, what a cool thing to do. First of all. Um, and then I was just thinking of the writing classes I've taken in my life, and I wanted to talk about them. So, sure. I, you know, I took a, a – excluding school, so no college courses. Okay. What kinds of writing classes can or should writers take um, as they as they work towards becoming professional writers? So, you know, I, I don't know. And then I wanted to talk about, like, even if you don't want to be a playwright – what do you get from taking a playwriting class? Yeah. Um, I took a screenwriting class my first my first summer in New York. So I was a wee 22-year-old. And, um, you know, I was working in a job that I really liked. And I was doing some writing there. But I wanted to do some more creative writing. And I didn't have a ton of friends in the city yet. And I saw those Gotham Writers Workshop <laughs> flyers everywhere. And I thought, okay. And I've always loved TV. We've talked about this before way early on in some of the first episodes of the podcast where I had this dream that in a couple of years I was going to go move to LA and become a screenwriter or write for TV. um, And I thought I should probably take a screenwriting class if I'm going to do that. (laughs) So I took a screenwriting class and it was so fun and such a good writing experience. Um, So anyway, what have you taken? If anything. I mean, I took some workshops in college. Yeah. Um, one of, only one of which was really worthwhile. And that was the one taught by Tom Parada. Okay. Um, the other two were good only because they gave me an excuse to write. Oh, that's interesting. I like also write on deadline. And, yeah. Well, yeah, and I, like and, it's I homework. and I also did an, an independent study semester where I worked on a novel for the entire semester. 
and that was great. Did you finish the novel? No. Okay. No. Didn't have to. Yeah. But, I mean, my feeling about classes and, and writing and, and writing education in general, my feeling is really just use it as an excuse to write. Yeah. It'll force you to write. Like, yeah. you know, a lot of people who want to be writers, you know, you hear them say, well, I'll do it when I have some ideas or mm-hmm. I don't have the time or I don't know what to write about. And if that's you, if that sounds like you, listener, get to a writing class because they will make you do yeah, it. Yeah. You know, you, you will have no choice. Although, I don't know. I don't know if that's true. It's I think it's true in school when your grade depends on it. But in some of these writing classes that you can take with no strings attached, essentially, the yeah. stakes are so low. I mean, I had a... I remember well, were you vividly... Paying for this? Yeah, yeah. Well, like some people don't care about that, yeah, you well. know? But I remember vividly a guy in my class... Um, was so like he came in guns blazing. He was so excited to to be writing a screenplay, and when he introduced himself, um, we all had to sort of talk about what our idea was or what we were in the middle of and what our goals were with it. And he hadn't written a word yet, but he had it all in his head. And his goal was that it was going to be the next huge movie. Like, no, obviously, I know, right? I mean, the guy dropped out after like two classes and never came back. Yeah. Once he realized like he had pages due every week and people would be critiquing him. So okay, that's another benefit of writing classes. They get rid of the losers like that. Yeah, yeah. I, but I mean, it isn't like the stakes are low. And I do remember yeah. at one point towards the end of the class, I might have had some pages due, but I was like, I can skip it. Yeah, I didn't, you know. But right. I, I don't know. You know, it's a challenge too. A, a class like that. Is like almost anything else where you're going to get out of it what you put into it. Of course, yeah. And if you're, you know, there are people who truly want to do this and just need a push. And in that case, a class can do it. Yeah. And then there are people who think they want to do this because it sounds romantic and interesting and cool and sexy and fun. And as soon as they actually have to, heavens, move their fingers to make words with the keyboard... They wash out. Yeah. And they and these are the same people who will tell you till the day they die they're going to write something someday. Yeah. And, okay, great, whatever, go away. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know what they are great for? What? Finding critique partners that you can yeah, with. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's good, you know, because you can actually meet them face-to-face. Yeah. And it's not it doesn't have the anonymity of the internet, you know, yeah. critique groups, which yeah. there's a benefit to that, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I, mean, I, I mean, I generally am not a big proponent of formal classes for writers Mm -hmm. again unless you are using it as an excuse to force yourself to write when you have a very busy life you know and you don't and you can't otherwise justify taking a few hours each week to write but you know your family your friends the people around you will understand if it's for your class Yeah, yeah you know if you say look guys oh i'd love to go out with you tonight but I've got my class on Monday and I got to get this done. Mm-hmm. Then everybody goes, Oh, of course. Cause we, of course, we're still yeah. programmed to think in terms of homework and right. grades and yeah. like it matters, you know, even though uh-huh. we're all adults. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean for that, I think it's very good, but yeah. in general, you know, to do what, what, what I do, you know, you have to be sort of, uh, I hate this term. Yeah. I was gonna say a self-starter, which God, I hate that <laughs> term, but yeah, I mean, you, no, you, you know, yeah. Because ain't nobody going to stand over you and make you do it. It's not like in the movies where the editor comes and moves into your guest room, right, you yeah. know, and, and, you know, wakes you up in the morning and shoves a, a laptop at you and says, right. Uh-huh. You know, it's not it's like, not like Younger, the TV show. It's not like Younger. <laughs> it's not like Younger. I will say, though. I, I haven't slept a... with any editors <laughs> at all. They beg and they beg and they beg, but I don't do it. Um, I took a day-long 
seminar on writing for children several, many years ago, eh, probably like six or seven years ago. And what was really cool about it was through Media Bistro, which uh, just to give a shout out, I think they do have some very great classes there. We've had friends who've talked. Yeah. Yeah. Too, yeah. Um, it was cool because it was just a day. You had to show up with, uh, with work hmm. prepared in advance that you had sent to the person teaching the class. What I'm getting at here is that the person teaching the class is an editor, like Uh, an established editor in the industry. And she was great during the class and then made it a point of saying, like, once everyone in this class, like, if you ever get to the point where you have an agent who is pitching editors, pitch me and say, you took, I took your class because I want to know, you know, and that means I'm definitely going to look at your work and and whatnot. So, um, anyway, but I, I'm, I met some great people in that class and one of them became my critique partner and we are still friends to this day. And I think, I think, you know, networking is really important. Yeah. Um, and, and, but again, there, you've got to take the right class Yeah. because you want to be, you want to find at least a couple of people in that class who are as good as you or better. Right. So that they can help you. The Barry Liga theory. The Barry Liga. Yeah. yeah. You, you want you want to exploit the people around you. Yeah. You, you don't want to. You don't want to be the best in the group. Why do you think then I you're married not you? Anything out. <laughs> 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 it's for the editorial assistants. I get it. I get it. And you know the other important thing you said was that the person teaching this class was a working editor and somebody actually is, yeah. in the field yeah. as opposed to i mean there are some classes where it's like you know well i ghost wrote a babysitter's club in 1991 hey don't you and- <laughs> dare denigrate the babysitter's club ghost writing team okay but if that's if, those if, people are heroes <laughs> if you ghost wrote one of those books one of them you know 20 years ago yeah. you might not be the best person to be talking right. about the contemporary yeah. publishing scene so yeah i think I mean, those are all good reasons. And what I was going to say before was that rather than than taking classes, you know, I I think save up your time, save up your money. I really think going to conferences is a good thing because, because again, you got to find the right one. You want to find ones that have both networking tracks and educational tracks so that you can go and take, you know, sit in a class with an editor who's going to talk to you about, you know, building character or something, or with an author, somebody again, who was published in the last, you know, since, you know, the last Clinton was a president and, you know, can actually tell you, oh, you know, here's how you craft a story arc and this, this, that, and the other thing. And then at the same time, you know, you have the opportunity to pitch to agents and meet agents and meet editors and talk to them and interact with them. Those are the things that were really helpful for me early on. It's going to those sorts of conferences and meeting people like that. Did you go to a lot of them before? You know, I didn't go to a lot of them. I went to maybe half a dozen over the course of three or four years. That feels like a lot. Maybe it is. Maybe. (laughs) And, you know, I might be exaggerating it. Some of them were just local, small local conferences. But, uh, you know, it was helpful. It was, it was really helpful, yeah. you know, especially getting to pitch agents and editors and sort of get feedback from them immediately and sort of see how they reacted to what I was saying. And I'm like, oh, that turned them down, yeah. shut them down right away. But when I said That's that, cool. their eyes lit up yeah. and it's, you know, I was at one and I was hanging out with this editor. We were just having drinks. You know, the conference was done. We were just at the bar having drinks and we we're just talking and we were, we we're geeking out about comic books or something like that. And then she stops and she looks at me and she goes, you know, you can tell me about your book if you want. <laughs> and I went, Oh, okay, sure. <laughs> and I told her about my book and it was just, it was, you know, you get to know them as people. And I think a lot of times writers, sort of put agents and editors on pedestals. Yeah. And, but, you know, if you get to actually interact with them, you, you, 
you, it takes away a little bit of the fear. And yeah. I know one problem I had for years, you know, in trying to become a published author, I mean, uh, you know, more than a decade, every approach that I took was so obsequious and so formal mm. because I had them up on these pedestals, right. you know, and it was like, I am but a sniveling wretch. Right, right. I'm sorry for bothering yeah. you during your latte, you know, but could you perhaps <laughs> look at these poor ink stained pages? And then you get to meet them and you go, oh, no, no, that's the wrong way to do it. But I feel like that's what Twitter does now. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. Twitter's a democratizing force. Yeah, no yeah. Question. But it's also been, I, I love when agents do ask an agent or they do 10 queries, 10 responses, and they right. live tweet why they, uh, you know, what they were just yeah, queried I and mean, why they accepted or not. And it's funny because, it's funny because, I mean, so often I feel like so much of the advice that I have to give about this particular stage is... 10 years out of date because it's the last, <laughs> that's the last time I was in yeah, that position. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like I would have, I would have died to have been breaking it. You know, if there had been Twitter and yeah. Facebook, I mean, when you I was breaking people in on Twitter, of course, but no, of course not. But no. there's the, the depth and breadth of information. Yes. That is so readily available. It's, uh, I mean, I'll tell you all I had, thing. all I had, hang on a sec. All I had was a copy of uh, the writer's market guide, right. like an actual book, yeah, man. Yeah. Like that's what I had. And it was out of date the day I bought it, yeah. you know, and you're, you're just going through it, hoping that you can glean some sort of information and yeah. send off a story and cross your fingers and hope that it works. Yeah. And it's so different now. Like you're I in a whole different world. When, like people actually had to send out mail, like actual envelopes. In the days. What do you, that's what I did. Oh, did you, know? you didn't email 10 years ago. Oh God. I mean, Right when I was breaking in, sure. Yeah. yeah. But I will tell you, that was, I mean, I in a couple cases, I think I queried some people by email. Okay. But I remember being at the conference where I met my agent mm-hmm. and talking to her and she said, well, do you have the book with you? Oh, my goodness. And I was like, of course I don't. Like, no. <laughs> like, they tell you, don't bring your book right. to these conferences. Nobody wants to carry a yeah. pack of paper home with them. I'm like, no, of course not. She goes, well... When can I get it? And I said, I'll put it in the mail as soon as I get home. She goes, no, email it to me. Uh, and I'm like, really? Okay, great, cool. I was used to putting things in the mail. Wow, yeah. Um, you know, and an editor at the same conference said, do you have it with you? And I'm like, am I living in a twilight zone here? Like, <laughs> and I'm like, no, of course not. Uh, so, yeah, but no, I sent off stuff. Oh, my God. And wow. then you had to include your little self-addressed right. stamped envelope. And, oh, my gosh. You know, I, and then you'd wait and wait and wait. I, I waited say, like months. I waited one time. It took years before I finally got a form letter rejection. Nice. And I was like, fuck you right, people. Yeah. Um, I, I do have to say just on that note, maybe if I were 10 years older and I had gone through that mail snail mail process as an aspiring writer, yeah. I wouldn't have the fear and anxiety around post offices that I have right now. This is true. This is this is your deep dark secret we've never talked about we on the show. I don't understand. Morgan post is office. terrified by the post office. She de- you know, it, it's sort of like how Chandler's afraid of bras because he can't work them. <laughs> Morgan is afraid of post offices because she can't work them. That's totally true. Like, I mean, you're like, like I can't work them. There have been it. times you're like, so I have to send this package. What do I just do? I do I take it there? I mean, I literally ask you, what do I do step by step? Yeah, where do I go when I get in there? What do I need to be prepared with in advance? It's not that complicated. Like, there's a window, you give it to them, they tell you how much it costs, you give them the money, and you leave. I don't believe that's true, though. (laughs) I've seen that that's not true. And I do remember when I worked at um, a jewelry store during the summers when I was a teenager uh, and in college. 
one of the owners was a, a great girl who's actually younger than me. So um, she and her older brother owned this jewelry shop. And I do remember one day, the post office was right down the street. This is on Long Beach Island. And she had this whole parcel of stuff that she needed to send out to the send out to people. Yeah. And she like kind of walked by and she's like, Morning, do you want to do all the stuff at the post office for me? And I looked at her and I like started sweating. And I was like, no, I do not want to do that. Sorry, boss. I can't do it. Oh my God. Oh my anyway, God. I don't get the mail. So maybe I, if I were 10 years older, I would. I, I totally have to find out what the psychiatric term is for fear of post offices. Yes, I have it. Oh my God. All right. Oh, let's do it. Let's do a book and writing update. All right. What are you working on, Barry? Uh, I am, I'm still working on the, uh, the, the sort of superhero cop story that I mentioned last week. I've been slowed down a little bit for reasons I will explain when we get to what are you reading now slash recommended (laughs) reading, but there's still that. And of course the Billy story is still floating out there too. That will, you know, I'll be working on both of those over the next, uh, over the next probably month or so. Cool. Yeah. How about you? How is the uh, <clears throat> essay going? <laughs> no, both the essay and the book are going well. Great. I think I'm actually, I'll probably be done with the essay in an hour. Like, oh, okay. I need probably another hour with it. Cool. Um, and the book, you know, I told you I would get it to you by August. I, it's going to be mid-August for sure. But okay. But you will have it in the month of August. Hey, now that now that I'm not taking it on the plane when I go on tour, that means I can play video games on the plane. There you go. So I just gave you a it's, gift. It's win-win for me. <laughs> like, I either read the book or I play video games. So there you go. What are you reading? Uh, I'm reading my own book right now. Yes. <laughs> I have the page proofs for The Secret Sea, mm-hmm. which is my middle grade novel that comes out in the spring. Which Publishers Weekly just included in their spring 2016 roundup list. I don't know how they choose those books. Um, anyway, yeah, so I, I got the page proofs for that. And, you know, for those who don't know, the page proofs is when they, they send you an actual printout of the book the way it will look when it's printed. And this is your last chance to look at it to catch any last-minute, egregious, horrible, stupid things you may have done. And uh, so I'm going through it very carefully because, again, it's my last chance to catch anything embarrassing. And I've been doing – that's been what I've been doing this week. Yeah. So. Great. So I haven't haven't read anything else and I haven't gotten much else done because that's what I've been doing. Cool. What about you? What are you reading or what do you recommend? I just finished The Royal We, which I talked about last, last week. Yes. I absolutely loved it. Very good. Love, love, love. Um, and then I just started a book that my twin sister recommended to me and gave to me an actual physical book, which is exciting because I rarely read those, and uh, has been pestering me about for weeks and weeks. So I finally started it. It's called The Luckiest Girl Alive. Uh, and I like it so far. I mean, I literally, I think I'm in chapter three. I yeah. just started it. But. It's a good thing she lives so close by because otherwise she might have had to have mailed it to you. <laughs> no, wait. Is she afraid of the post office too? I actually don't know. All right. We're going to find out. Yeah. We're going to drive very slowly by a post office at some point. <laughs> see if she starts to sweat and freak out. And Yeah. We're going to find a out. Trap and, uh, yeah. Plant a trap and ask her to, uh, yeah. to mail something for us. So. Yep. All right. I think that's it. Oh, there's one more no, thing. No, there are a couple more things, actually. So, first of all, we want to beg, implore, wheedle, everybody, please no, go buy a drift. We don't want to do that. We what don't. we want to say is there's a wonderful book out this yes. week. It's called Adrift. It's by someone you may know if you listen to this podcast because we talk about him a lot. His name is Paul Griffin. He's a wonderful writer. We're really excited about this book. Barry's read it. Book. I haven't. I blurbed it. It's on my blurbs on the front cover. That's amazing. So, you know, yeah. buy, it, buy it for my ego, if nothing else. Yeah, but it, it's been really exciting for me because it's published by Scholastic and it's one of our lead titles. So I've been doing a ton of work with the book right. um, in terms of social media and marketing. So, uh, so that's been exciting because 
I like I like knowing the authors that yeah. I'm supporting on social. So still. it's a great book. It comes out on July 28th, which will be in the past by the time you are <laughs> hearing this. So you don't even have to pre-order. You can actually order it. Go yeah. go to a bookstore. Go to your favorite online or real life bookstore. And get this book. You will not regret it. Trust me. It's got a great cover, too. So ah, yeah, nice cover. It's just, it's just nice to have on your bookshelf as yes, well. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And your tour is coming up, Bear. Yeah, I will be touring uh, the first week of August, August 4th, 5th, and 6th, uh, which will be very close by by the time you're all hearing this. So if you are in the New York area or the L.A. area, come out and see me. And it's not just me. Peter Facinelli will be with me. I, right. I'm, I am graciously bringing him on my tour with That's me. That's why I'm going. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I'm actually not going. So, <laughs> <laughs> Someone's got to watch the baby. <laughs> Someone's got to watch the baby. So, yeah, uh, the, all the details are at barryliga.com slash calendar. We'll put a link in the show notes. But basically, we'll be in Manhattan in Union Square on August 4th. We'll be on Staten Island on August 5th. And we will be at The Grove in Los Angeles on uh, August 6th. So please come see us and get a signed book. Uh, and it should be a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, everyone. That's it for us this week. You can visit us online at writinginreallife.com. And don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes. And while you're there, give us a rating. We hope you have a great week. Uh, enjoy a drift. Yes. That's what you should be reading this week. <laughs> Definitely. That should be everybody's reading this week. And we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. The Seduction of Water